Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. today is Annie Head, the CEO of Head Cycling, a manufacturer of premium quality bicycle wheels and components based in Minneapolis. Founded in the mid-80s by Stephen Annie Head, the company continues to embody his philosophy even after his tragic passing in 2014. Annie has won numerous business awards and the company was most recently recognized as a Forbes small giant. Welcome, Annie. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Paul. Well, it's just great to have you. And uh, Head Cycling is maybe not a company that a lot of people know about, but I, I want you to share how you and Steve got started and, uh, and maybe even a little bit about your uh, early famous clientele. Sure. So I, I really enjoy talking about how the company started because I think it's kind of a storybook and kind of a bit of a love story too. So to, to go back in time in the early 80s, um, I was a young triathlete who had seen Julie Moss do the iconic crawl across the finish line in the Hawaiian Ironman Triathlon in 1981. And I had just moved down to the Twin Cities, and I I saw her uh, do this amazing feat on Wild World of Sports, and I had just signed up for college, and, and I knew that this is something I, I really wanted to try. And to, to qualify for the Hawaiian Ironman back then, you had to find a race that would birth you a spot. So there obviously wasn't anything in Minnesota. We didn't even really have many triathlons in Minnesota. So I saw that there was a, a race in Austin, Texas. And I got in my car and I drove down there. And I was fortunate to win uh, this triathlon, which gave me a spot in the Hawaiian Ironman. But I was in 21. I had no money. I had uh, a, a kind of a mediocre bike, I would call it, but I had this entry. So a friend of mine said, hey, there's this guy named Steve Head. He owns a bicycle shop. I bet you if you ask him to help you, he, he would help you. So I just kind of walked in there one morning and there he was, barefoot, greasy, <laughs> shirtless, just not, not the most ideal looking sponsor. And I, I just boldly asked, Hey, will you give me a hundred dollars? That was the entry price back then. And, you know, he said, of course I'll help you. And, and he just pulled out a check, wrote it and asked, Hey, what else do you need? And I'm like, I could use a new bike. And this was way back when there really wasn't a lot of sports were for triathlons. And he said, well, I'll give you a bike. I'll give you this hundred dollars if you wear the name of my shop on your Jersey. So I did. So I was fortunate enough to get him as a friend, just helping me with this, this Ironman that I qualified for. So I went and I did the Hawaiian Ironman and I, I was in the top 15 women in that race. And I was then sponsored by 
Mizuno Running Shoes and U.S. Swim Fitness, which is now Lifetime Fitness and Chippewa Springwater. And I was on a team of triathletes. I was fortunate enough to start traveling around the world. And I didn't win a lot of races, but uh, some of my colleagues did. And they saw that there was this wheel that I was training on that nobody else had. And they asked, hey, where'd you get that wheel? And Stephen was tinkering in his garage while he also owned this bike shop. And he had this idea to to make a solid disc wheel. He had seen uh, a cyclist in in, um, Europe, Francisco Mosier, set the hour record on this funny-looking solid wheel that was very expensive. So he came from a background in making some water skis and he, he basically made a wheel for me. And I was the first wheel that, that he had made for was for me actually, but other people wanted this wheel. And so all of a sudden we had to try to figure out how to make more of these wheels. So I was racing and he was again, tinkering in his garage. He didn't have much money either. Cause you know, bike shops, especially back then didn't, didn't, make ton of money or they weren't very profitable and he wasn't much of a business guy anyways. So I saw a race in uh, Vermont and the first prize was a car. So mm. I flew out to Vermont and lo and behold, I, I had to beat a predetermined time. Uh, and I did. And so I won, uh, a Subaru hatchback, uh, wagon. So that was my prize. I I came back to the cities with it and more people wanted these wheels. And and I I said, well, maybe I can help you out. And and we were, we were just pretty much friends then just dating. And, uh, I now, now envision this. I was, I was 22 years old walking into banks, asking for some money and showing them this wheel. And of course I got turned down by several, but one gentleman asked some more questions and went as far to say, well, what do you own? And I'm like, well, I own this car and, and I have a bike. And he goes, you own a car? And I said, yes. And he said, well, where's the, where's the title? And I said, it's right here. And he said, okay, here's $14,000. And, and, and that's really how we were able to continue to make some more wheels was from the earnings of my car and Steven's little invention from his garage. Wow. Did, uh, when he was tinkering around with this wheel, uh, originally was the hope that at some point it would be something that he could sell and, uh, or was he just doing it for, for fun? Well, he, he, he was an, an amazing, uh, tinker, but, he just loved tinkering and making something. And I, I think, uh, he thought, well, you know, Annie needs a wheel and some of her friends need a wheel. And that first year we made 14 wheels. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we didn't expect it to really grow into anything at first, but people started noticing this wheel and they, wanted one. I mean, you know, back then 
there really wasn't anything like that here in the U.S. There was a, a, another company that made one in, in Europe, but they were very expensive. Um, so I, I continued to race with it, and the phones kept ringing. Um, and then what basically happened is we started getting more calls from professional athletes wanting one. And I remember getting a phone call one day from this kid in, in Texas because he was doing well in triathlons and he, he kind of had that same voice that I had. I didn't really have any money. He said, I I couldn't really afford one, but is there any way you'd give me one? And I, I decided to, and it turned out that it was, um, was Lance Armstrong back there in the early eighties and we gave him one and he broke it. He, he was like called a couple of weeks later and said, I don't know what I did, but you know, I, I broke your will. And I'm like, this is really unheard of because, <laughs> you know, he's a little kid from Texas, but I asked him if we sent him a couple more and we would change the design a little bit, if he would ride it and continue to ride it and report back to me. And he said, sure. And I said, I'm, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you $200 a month for a year, but you need to keep calling us and letting us know what's going on. And of course, this was before he turned down to, uh, later to become, you know, the world seven time Tour de France winner. So it was, it was just kind of a leap of faith on my part that he was going to become something like this. But he went on to do all of those he didn't use our wheel in all of them because he was sponsored by somebody else for a couple of years, but he continued to use our wheels with our decal on it for several of the wins without asking for any pay. Wow, what an incredible break for you guys. Did that, uh, were you able to leverage that and as, his, as he became more known and, and all that, did that really help propel the company uh, or did you guys find other ways to, to uh, grow the brand? It was kind of uh, twofold. So up until that point, we were just making a composite disc wheel for the rear. Again, Stephen's uh, mind kept tickering, and he decided to uh, to sell the bike shop. And we were still just um, at the infancy of this company when we knew that to keep the company growing, we had to make a composite wheel for the front that wasn't solid. A disc wheel in the front is really not legal in most races unless you're on the track because you would get blown over. So in 1990, we were able to patent a design of a composite wheel that used spokes, but it was the arrow shape that was so phenomenal. So that kind of benchmarked us along with Lance getting onto pro teams, getting onto more pro athletes into a a much larger uh, path of making composite wheels that would be more mainstream. So it was, it was kind of twofold. He, he did bring our name out there more worldwide and that just opened doors for more international sales too. Yeah. So today, uh, fast forward, uh, we're in 2017, Tell me a little bit about the the size of the company, maybe a range of revenues, number of employees. How have you guys grown? Well, you know, I keep on pinching myself because we are continuing to hire. It just is phenomenal. 
uh, we originally started in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, in a little house, and then in 2007, we moved from oh about 20 employees. We moved 2007 into a little bit larger building. We grew up to 40 employees by 2000. 14, we then moved into uh, a new building here in Roseville. It's about 25,000 square feet. We are now over 55 employees, and our revenue is close to $10 million. Wow. What a, what a great story, because it sounds like you guys literally fell into this opportunity. One, you fell into the relationship that ultimately uh, you guys got married. and But just the whole idea of the business uh, really came from someone simply asking, um, hey, can you do this for me? And, and so it takes a lot to learn how to grow a business uh, and uh, sustain a business for this many years. So uh, congratulations on what you've been able to do so far. I know you're far from, from finished. But along the way, I know uh, in 2004, tragically, Stephen passed away. Tell us what happened there. So it was actually 2014. No, 14, I'm sorry. Sure. So, you know, we have basically been known for wheels for several years. We have several patents now. Uh, in 2014, we introduced a composite carbon fiber fat bike rim which we just recently have a patent on. But we've been known primarily for molding carbon fiber. So we had been making wheels for several larger bicycle companies. We've made wheels for you know Specialized. We've made wheels for Trek. And we had recently started making wheels for a company called Cervelo. And Cervelo is a, an amazing company. Uh, company that is really a well-known road and triathlon frame and its headquarters are in Canada. So they saw how beautiful our product was. So basically when you when you get a head wheel and it comes out of the mold, we don't paint, we don't fill, and we don't do any kind of uh, finish work on them. The product comes out done. In, in Asia, and there's a lot of good manufacturers in Asia, but it's more known for a, a part comes out and you have to fill it and paint it. And it's it's not as clean, it's not as green as we mold here in the States. So they had asked if we would have any interest in helping them make a frame. And up until this time, we had never done that before. So Stephen was really uh, always in, interested in something new. And so he said, sure, you know, let me, let me think about that. Let me see if I can make you a prototype mold. So we're fortunate enough at our facility here and at our older facility, we really invested a lot of money into our own tooling. So we have lays and mills and machinery so that we can tool our own molds. We don't have to worry about outside machining shops to do that. So he thought, well, you know, I'm just going to make a scaled down mold, prototype mold of this frame that they're interested in. And, and it it was very top secret. It was something that really hadn't been done before the way that we were trying to do something. We wanted to make a frame that would pop out done in one piece. Most frames in the world 
would be made in pieces and then glued together. So Stephen had been working diligently on this for a few months and it, it came down to the final day where, okay, I have to be able to show them that we, we can make this mold. So they came to visit us in November and the day that they came, it was, uh, it was one of those, you know, normal days here at Head Cycling. We, uh, we were prepared. Stephen and I, uh, have two children and I, I had, um, I had brought, my daughter to school that day, just like a normal day. And, uh, the, the engineers showed up and I said, you know what, I got to go pick up my daughter, Rebecca from school. And you have to tell me how this frame worked. So they, they put one in a mold and they, they blew it up. And I anxiously was in the car waiting to hear whether this, this new little frame was going to work. And Stephen called me when I was in the car with my daughter and he said, Annie, you're not going to believe it. It, it. it worked. It, it popped out. It's, it looks great. They, they want us to go into production of these, these frames. I'm so excited. This is, this is an amazing day for us. I'm, I could just absolutely hear complete joy in his voice. Mm. He was so elated because it was something he had never done before. I mean, it, 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 even though you can, you make a wheel and you mold this thing, this frame, this frame, this, I call it the pony frame cause there's no seat tube. So it's kind of, kind of like unrealistic looking. Uh, I wish I could, could just flash a, a photo in front yeah. of all your listeners here, but, but they can go online now and see what it looks like. It's the Cervelo P5X, but it was just, it was just wonderful. It was just a beautiful conversation that I had. And I was so happy for both of us because being in business and married and together for so many years, you know, you, you know what your partner is feeling like, and you know how hard it is to work, to get something to work the first time. Cause boy, a lot of times things don't work the first time. So I just said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, help Rebecca here at home um, and, and you guys go out to dinner and I'll see you later tonight. So unfortunately, the next phone call that I received was, Annie, you need to come into work. Uh, Stephen's not, not okay. And I, I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean not okay? And they said he, um, he collapsed outside and the ambulance is here and, and, and you need to get in to work. And I, I, I was just like, it was, it was a call you, you really don't ever think about, you know, it was just unheard of that I would get a call like this. So, you know, of course I, I went to, to work and, and I couldn't get in the ambulance. They said he, he wasn't breathing and they had to try to, to get him breathing again. And the next time I saw him was at the hospital, but he, um, he never, regain consciousness. He, he was on a ventilator and he, he passed, uh, naturally four days later. So, mm. so then, um, he was, he was in heaven now. Wow. So sorry to hear that. Cause it's still fairly recent. Um, now how did he, what, what was the cause? Did they, did they know? Uh, you know, it, I, I had obviously decided to do an autopsy just because, you know, I have 
at the time I had a 16-year-old daughter and a 19-year-old son, and I didn't know if there was something hereditary. But after we got the results back, they they didn't really know 100% sure because it was obviously his heart. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a heart attack because there was no blockage. Um, and they did all kinds of testing in his body. And the only thing that they could come up with that it must have been a virus in his heart, that his heart left side was, was a little inflamed, but it, it's, it's never quite known what really causes that because there was no bacteria and there was no blockage. So it was an electrical problem, but you know, it, they, they think it was some kind of virus that settled there that, that he didn't know about because he really had no symptoms. Mm. Incredible. Um, and I, I can't imagine what that meant for you and your kids to go through that. Uh, how did you, how did you really survive that from a business standpoint to, to really continue, uh, since you lost Stephen so, uh, tragically and surprisingly, I, I think when we spoke earlier, I told you I lost my brother and partner to brain cancer, but that was after a 19 year fight. Uh, so it wasn't totally unexpected. So how did you get through this? Well, you know, I, I, I look back and I have incredibly strong faith. So that that is really what helped me get through those really tough days. But also, I have an amazing children. Rebecca and Andrew are, are really my rock. And then to continue on, it was it was really my staff. I. I I had signed a seven-year lease a couple months prior, so we literally had to pick up and move the entire business, including all the machinery, the equipment, and the employees, mid-December. So basically, two and a half weeks after he passed, I uh, my daughter had torn her ACL <laughs> the same week that Stephen was in in the hospital, and then you have you know one of those amazing things that happen where you have the Minnesota and Wisconsin sales and use tax audit. So I just really put my hands up. You know, it's it's like I ha- I didn't know what to do except believe that I had inner strength to continue, and I have so much respect for my children and for all of my leaders here, everybody here at Head Cycling. I mean, they just were there for me. I mean, I I kind of feel like they just kind of were these hands that just kept moving me in the right direction. So it's, it's really surrounding your, yourself with amazing family and, and, and other coworkers that, that got me through this. And again, a lot of time sent just with my hands in the air and, and hoping that and praying that it would all work out. And it, and it did. Well, and I think a lot of that probably has to do with the kind of culture that you and Steven built and the trust you developed, um, not just in your kids, but in the whole team that would rally around you, uh, at a time like that. Um, you know, you, uh, had this incredible upbringing as a, as an athlete and, you know, fell, it, literally kind of fell into the the business world but to get through uh you know 20 some years in business and survive what uh steven's passing and continue to successfully grow this wonderful company uh 
there's something in you that has allowed all that to happen. Um, are there earlier experiences that you can think of maybe in your childhood that kind of formed your, your leadership potential, uh, way back then? Sure. So, you know, you kind of have to think about your life kind of as a story. And, and I was trying to figure out what, what made me strong as an individual. And, and there's certain trigger points in your life that I think you either decide, you know, are, are you going to get through this or, or what's going to happen? And I came from a, a large family of six. My mother had triplets. So she, she was the, uh, the mother of triplets back, you know, in, in the sixties, which was kind of unheard of. So I was kind of the middle child. So I think as, as a middle child, you just kind of, you kind of figure things out because obviously my older sister was the firstborn, then I came and then these triplets came along and, and Hey, that kind of puts me in no man's land. <laughs> but, um, my, my parents unfortunately got divorced when I was 13. So I, again, had to kind of decide a path to go on because with six children, my mother had her hands full. And I think at that point in time, I, I decided, you know what, I need, I need to find a path for me. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try out for the swim team. I, I think I, I want to try something to keep my mind off of my parents' divorce. And I I went and I I tried out for the swim team and I thought, you know, anybody can swim. I, I, I should be able to make this team. And I, I'll never forget this day because I remembered walking on the board back then where you would see your name if you made the swim team or not. And I'm seeing all these people's names on there and and my, my name wasn't on there. So I, I didn't make the swim team. And it, it, again, was another kind of devastating blow to my, my soul, you know, that I, 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 I didn't, I didn't do it. I, I guess I must not be good enough. So I, I really wanted to swim. So I would go to the swim meets and I watched, and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to learn how to swim. So I joined the local YMCA and I, joined that team. And there was this amazing lady, Marilyn, that became one of my mentors that said, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you how to swim and I'm going to teach you how to swim fast. So she spent a lot of time with me. And by the time it came to try out for that team the following year, um, not only did I make the team, I broke most of the school records in, <laughs> in some of the, 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 the distances. And I was a, I was an IMer and a, and a, and I, and I swam butterfly, but, you know, I think it made me realize that if you, if you have some kind of tragedy or you have something that really breaks your spirit, if you continue on and break through it, you can become a leader. And so I, I, I became the swim captain at that, that school. And then I went and became the captain at, at my high school too. But that was kind of a big changing point in my life to figure out that, you know, sometimes there's a reason that, that you, you think you fail. It, it makes you tougher. Well, the fact that you, uh, took it upon yourself to, uh, going through the, 
you know, being one of six kids and then your parents divorced and you said, you know, I'm going to try to even do that. I'm thinking about my kids who are uh, 11 and 15 and, uh, I don't see any of them raising their hand to, you know, to join the uh, the teams. You know, we're kind of pushing them along nowadays and and trying to make sure that they do that. So uh, that was an early experience for you. What about maybe something you learned from an unexpected source or at an unexpected time? And maybe it's that that first you know coach at the YMCA or any other examples you can think of. Sure. So I I think with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, you get in your, your niche market and you think that everything's going okay. You don't really need some business help. I mean, as long as you can grow your business and provide for your employees and you're making a good margin, you know, you're, you're fine. And I, I think what had happened, oh, I'm trying to think what is, it was back, maybe five or six years ago, we, we had these phenomenal years where we were making all these wheels for larger companies. We were making some wheels for Trek. And then there was one point in time where they decided that, you know, we're going to, we're going to probably not use that product anymore. We're going to have something made in Asia. And and we had kind of a, a flat year. There wasn't much growth. And one of my, uh, lead ladies here, Julie, Olson, who was also an, a professional triathlete with me in the 80s, who actually works alongside me now, she signed me up for something. And I, I didn't really pay attention at first. She said, hey, Annie, I'm signing you up for the economic gardening program. And I, I'm like, sure, whatever. You know, I, I, I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was some kind of gardening program where we would help out with a local gardening program. And it turns out, it, it was a program that we got into that was kind of threefold. It was uh, and is a roundtable for CEOs. It is a forum where you can go and listen to other uh, empl- employers and entrepreneurs and business owners. And then they had a group of people that would kind of be like a resource team that would help you if you were struggling in some kind of part of your business, like an outside consultant. So I, I didn't really want to go to this and Steven didn't either. So it was really one of my ladies here, Julie, that pushed me to do it. And we literally had to flip a coin, Steve and I, because we, neither one of us wanted to go and I lost. So I had to go. And I remember walking into this, this, table with other business owners that I'd never met before. And we had a facility, Steve Quillo, and it economic gardening program was funded by the Ramsey County, where we live, uh, growth program to help middle staged companies grow. And for the first hour, I didn't really want to be there. And I, I was uncomfortable sharing and listening to some of the other business owners talk about what was going on with them. And it came my turn to talk about my business. And I, I started talking about it. And, and I realized after three hours spent with other business owners that I was learning a lot and about their businesses too, but it didn't matter whether we were making wheels or you were running a restaurant. We all had same issues and 
going into this, I didn't think I would like it at all. And now three and a half years later, I go as much as I can every single month to this round table. They become some of my closest friends and I wish I would have done it years ago. Yeah, these are incredible uh, groups, uh, peer groups. And, and uh, uh, I remember those times, too, when you're just kind of growing your small business and uh, you're in this little bubble. And then when you finally get out there and realize that there's many people in the same situation, you don't know what you don't know. You actually don't right. know a lot because people are all going through the same thing. And um, and uh, you can build relationships with them. And those are the folks you want to learn from and grow with and build long-term relationships with. So uh, that it's a great resource, uh, and I'm glad you're, you're still in it. Um, you know, as, as you, uh, you guys learned how to run a business and add more employees and, um, and continue to grow, uh, I'm sure there's been challenging times along the way. Can you think, Annie, of what might have been the or one of the toughest business decisions you've had to make? Well, obviously, you know, continuing on with the business probably would have been more difficult except that last conversation I had with Steve that turned out to be so positive. You know, I, I, I think it, it could have gone a different way. Uh, it could have not been, Hey, Annie, this is an amazing product and we want to continue with it. If it hadn't been, I don't, I don't know what I would have done, but you know, there's been other, obviously that was my most difficult, but there's been other challenging and humbling experience that I've had to have as a business owner. Uh, A couple of years ago, I, I had something happen and, and it, it was a hard decision, but the right decision, you know, so sometimes you have to differentiate before between those, but obviously we make bicycle wheels and we don't only make carbon wheels, we make aluminum wheels also. And every single aluminum wheel in a certain line that we have gets machined and then hard anodized. It's a way to make the product stop better. And we had been doing it absolutely fine for about a year. And I remember one of my sales guys coming and say, Hey Annie, there's, there's somebody on the phone and one of these wheels is, is really stopping too hard. And I'm like, Oh dear, what is, what's going on here? And so we went and pulled a couple rims out and they were, they were machined too aggressively, which means that they were wearing through brake pads. And I just stopped complete production that day, went through everything in the plant, looked up and to see what we had um, in shops. And uh, it was in the middle of the winter, so there really wasn't that many out there. But I decided to do a voluntary recall. And it was it was a, a hard decision, but the right decision because safety is is really what we stand for first, uh, you know, with aerodynamics and, and just to get a couple calls saying, you know, this, something's wrong here. I, I, I went through a voluntary recall and it, it, it really was, uh, a humbling experience to understand that you can be just cruising along and everything can be fine. And, and if a machine misses a, an accuracy point and, and something gets in the market, 
you you need you've got a problem. So you know we we lived through it. We we didn't have any accidents. We got them all back, and we replaced everything. And a lot of them there wasn't a problem with, but it was just knowing what is right to do. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it was it was a decision that cost the company a lot of money and a lot of energy, and I personally have a relationship with every single rim because I called all. I personally called pretty much all the people that had them and said, I'm sorry, this is what happened. You have to send your wheel back. We covered all the shipping, the handling, but I can sleep at night. And it it was a tough decision, but the right decision. Well, you know, one of the things about being a a small giant is really being a a purpose-driven leader, being a values-driven leader. And, And that could be, in many cases, the only value you need, which is always do the right thing. And in that case, uh, that's what you did, and and uh, you were able to get through it. You know, having uh, been recognized now as a, a leader um, in many respects, and uh, and being awarded as a Forbes Small Giant, how did uh, have you guys been able to build the kind of culture that is really a values driven, uh, continues to be a values driven business inside the four walls? Well, again, if I could just take a little camera and zoom it through so everybody could see walking into head cycling. Uh, you first of all, you would you would be greeted by four amazing dogs. I just I, I'm I don't have a dog. My my employees have dogs. So you walk in and you're you're greeted with love <laughs> as soon as you walk in the door. And what else besides pets do people love but coffee? So um my high my my kids high school art teacher now is a, a roast coffee bean. So every week, Ray hand delivers these amazing coffee beans, and we have a Swiss coffee machine that people can just get unlimited. Um, I mean, I come here. I've even run in here on the weekend to grab a cup of coffee because I was out at home. I mean, we, <laughs> we we fuel we fuel our employees with with pets and coffee. Uh, but you know, besides that, you know, we we take pride in in having kind of a big happy family. I mean, obviously, there's going to be there's going to be days where everything isn't all bubbly, but you know, we we are always trying to figure out how to keep just the mojo going here. I mean, if, if you could see, you know, all the jerseys and the champions that we've surrounded ourselves with, you know, Gwen Jorgensen winning the gold medal last year at Rio would, would pop in. She just recently had a child and she's living in Portland, so I may not see her, but it just, just the feeling that, that we have when you walk in here, that people really care about the quality of the products that we make, you know, we started traction. Oh, I think about, about two and a half years ago. And that's when we, we really figured out how to keep the right people in the right place. And we started our vision statement and, and I think everybody here knows how much we all care about each other and how much we care about making the fastest composite bicycle wheels and frames in the world. And it's, it's just a feeling that if you were here to walk in, you'd see. Mm. And traction, uh, for our listeners is kind of an operating program, right? By based on the book, uh, Gina Wickman wrote, 
Um, and uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have found that to be very successful at not only uh, articulating the vision, but uh, kind of executing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So after Stephen passed away, I had been in this round table and up until then, again, it's one of those moments where you think, ah, you know, I don't know if I really need something like that. But I literally read the book in a day, went to my round table, uh, was introduced to a facilitator the following week and, and we've gone full board and, and implemented it through the entire company. And I honestly don't know if I'd be on this this podcast had I not had something to really help me continue and 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 make the business grow, and and it's really been really exceptionally wonderful. In fact, this morning I'm I already had some of my key employees in their quarterly conversation, which I would, I used to not do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, huh? You know, once a year is fine. Well, no, it's not. So it's really put me on a path to keep even me accountable because as business owners, you can, you can get all looped into being so involved in it that you really don't spend the time that you need to one-on-one with key employees or anybody here. Every employee here is, is valuable and we want them to know that. Yeah, it's, that's a, it's a great program and um, shows that you're accountable to, to learning and growing as well. If, if you think about, Annie, now kind of looking back at everything you've been through, at least to date, what would you say is the most important quality of a leader? Well, I think you have different gifts that you're born with, but I think that you can continue to find Find those little spots in your body and your life that you need to continue to grow on. And I think that honesty is our number one value here. So I have made that so incredibly clear (laughs) to everybody here Mm -hmm. because if somebody makes a mistake and somebody is riding those wheels, it, it, it could be a huge problem. And so I feel like as a leader, I have to be honest when I make mistakes. So as you know, everybody makes them, but, but to stand in front of a a group of people and say, you know, I, I really blew it, or I'm really sorry I handled that incorrectly. I think when they know that you're honest with them, they can trust you. And without trust or honesty, I, I don't think that you can be a leader. Uh, so if you if you could see our core values, I mean, honesty, excellent passion, dependability. I mean, all of those you need to have as a leader because you have to set an example. You have to lead by example. And and I think if you were here and asked a lot of the people here if there's anything I want to be known for one day is is that she was always honest. Well, you've made it so attractive. I, I'm about to get on the next plane to come there and have some coffee, meet the dogs, yeah. um, see the, the frame. Uh, it sounds like just an, a wonderful uh, a wonderful company and a great atmosphere. Uh, if someone were young, like back when you were an athlete and, and, and thinking about, um, you know, I want to be just like Annie, and, um, what, would you, what would you tell them? What kind of advice would you offer? Oh, well, you know, I think that people have to realize in all walks of life and whatever you're doing that 
it's okay to fail. Like, I don't think I would be where I am if I hadn't had failure in my life. So, you know, here at Head Cycling, it's okay to fail. And we, we, we don't blow things up, but we're back in the R and D department. If, if they're not making mistakes, they're not growing. And so I think that some people, when they fail, they, they think that that's so terrible, but really it's what fuels you to continue to grow. And you need to do things that take you out of your comfort zone and push your limits daily. I mean, I really try to do things that that I get a little scared about once in a while. I, I, I joined a gym and I have a trainer and she told me to do something the other day. I'm like, no, I can't do that. You know, mm-hmm. no. And she's like, yeah, I you can do that. You know, so just getting out of your, your comfort zones. And, and when you have difficult topics, cause you're not going to get along with everybody and everybody's going to have different ideas is, is to, to talk through those, but be silent when that person's talking and listen to them because I'm, I'm a good listener, you know? So I think you have to just find this path that you can't be complacent. You have to continue to learn. doesn't matter what age you are. Yeah. Those are, uh, great, great lessons. Um, you know, I've learned so much from you, uh, today, Annie, of, of based on your journey that, that obviously continues, couple things I just want to share of my, my key takeaways um, to the audience. One is uh, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, you were able to walk into uh, Stephen's shop um, years mm-hmm. ago and say, hey, um, would you be willing to give me $100 or, or mm-hmm. let me ride a bike? Um, you were able to willing to walk into a bank and and uh, get a $14,000 loan based on the fact that you just won a car and um, you've, you've got to you've got to be willing to step out there like you said um, and sometimes um, that could be uncomfortable even the fact that that as when your parents were going through the divorce and you said you know I'm going to join the swim team you didn't make the team and you said you know what I'm going to still do it I'm going to join a Y find a coach who's going to train me um, there was a lot of initiative in, in all these things. That's the kind of common thread I see beyond it. When I when I reflect back on what happened with Stephen a few years ago, and uh, and the fact that um, you have incredible people surrounding you, your kids, uh, your your team, and along with your faith, it, it got you through this. And if we think about it, that's what gets us through anything in life. Uh, but you have to have built those relationships such that uh, that trust is there. And then, then, um, then it, it's somewhat um, easy to know that when times get tough, that that family is going to be there for you. Um, the idea that you you needed to be pushed uh, by uh, Julie to join this the roundtable, the economic gardening program, and and you and Stephen were there. Ah, no, I don't really want to go, mm-hmm. and you show up and and you start to meet people just like you, and you realize, oh, there are people just like me, and they're struggling just like I am, and uh, they don't know what they're doing either, and we can do this together, and that has become now a staple of your own uh, personal learning. Uh, and then kind of just around culture, um, pets and good coffee help when you've got coffee, that's good enough that you're going to come in on a Saturday just for the coffee. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's big. Um, and kind of your advice to young people that it's, it's okay to fail. And I think that that's something that as a parent too, we, we put a lot of pressure or we tend to on our kids to, 
to want to do well. Um, you know, we can't all be world-class athletes. We can't always win. Um, and it's those failures along the way that really formed you uh, to who you are today that allows the company to uh, continue to grow. And, and these are wonderful lessons that I think all of our uh, listeners are really going to enjoy after listening to this. So I want to close out with just a couple uh, quick questions, kind of this association game, Annie. And just as I give you these questions, just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Mm-hmm, um, sure. All right. So name a famous leader you look up to. Well, I really look up to the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur. I mean, they started with this amazing bicycle, kind of like we did, but obviously it went into airplanes. So, so it's it's the team, the both of them. That's a great one. Uh, name a great book that influenced your leadership style. I read The Meaning of Life by Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you've heard of that book. I have heard of that book. Oh yeah, that yeah. was that was life-changing for me. Oh, good one. Um, all right. What about your all-time favorite movie? Okay. I'm a girl. Let's see. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. I could watch it over and over and over again. Talk to your wife about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've seen it in different, different venues. All right. I'll have to ask her about that one. Uh, all right. You get, you're on a stranded on an Island. Now you get to take one thing with you. Uh, what would it be? Hands down, a Bible. Absolutely. I would just not be able to live without that. Ah, beautiful. And uh, uh, you've been very open and genuine in talking to us, but what's something about you that maybe many people don't yet know? I have to have chocolate every single day. Like, I would not be able to live without chocolate. Like dark dark chocolate? What kind it of chocolate? It doesn't matter. Any it kind of chocolate? It just has to be chocolate. Oh. Well, um, <laughs> I think that's a great one. And uh, um, and now I think you're going to end up with lots of chocolate uh, after that's people okay. listen to this. I'll eat it. That's right. Um, well, this has really been great, Annie. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot that we have in common. You know, both started our bootstrap business in the 80s okay. and, uh, you know, lost a loved one along the way. Um, I, uh, although I'm a little embarrassed to say that my last two times on a bike, I, uh, got stuck with, uh, my foot in the clips and fell over <laughs> sideways. So, um, that's my claim to fame, uh, with biking, but, um, it's been great having you and I really appreciate you, uh, sharing your stories with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy that I could to spend this last hour with everybody. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.